Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. You're darn right. You, you are in the huddle. This is Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Folks, we're two weeks away, officially, 14 days away from the Raiders opening training camp in the exact spot that I sit at presently here in Henderson at the Raiders' beautiful headquarters just off of St. Rose Parkway and Raiders Way. Well, not exactly where I'm sitting. This is the beautiful studio that we have here, um, that we work at here uh, with the with the Raiders. And they've been kind enough to let us uh, work out of this beautiful facility and beautiful studio a couple of days a week. But not far from where I am sitting at this very moment, out on some fields, uh, just to the east of me, I think it would be, the Raiders will be in force on Tuesday, July 27th, as they open up training camp and kick off officially the 2021 season. I can't wait. Uh, I go on vacation beginning tomorrow, but I'm already putting together all of my preview articles uh, that will be running in the Las Vegas Review Journal, I believe on Sunday, the 25th. Uh, kind of kicking off training camp. So uh, I'm busy getting all of that done before I leave, doing a lot of writing about Gus Bradley and the defense. I don't think it's any secret that I believe that the 2021 season for the Raiders rests largely on how much this defense improves. I think the Raiders' offense is going to be just fine. I think the Raiders' offense last year, while it wasn't perfect, there's no offense that is perfect, in case you haven't noticed. But it played plenty well enough to reach the playoffs. You don't score ten, the 10th most points in the NFL and miss the playoffs because of offensive issues. When you score the 10th most points in the NFL, and the Raiders did at 27 points per game and change, the reason you don't make the playoffs is because your defense, unfortunately, isn't holding up its end of the bargain. That is what happened last year. We've talked about it plenty enough. It is what it is. It happened. The Raiders just weren't ready yet defensively for various reasons. The defense wasn't ready, whether it was youth, whether it was a lack of talent in certain position groups, whether it was coaching that just wasn't really taking hold, whether it was a lack of chemistry, whether it was injuries, whether it was COVID-19, whether it was not having a foundation set because there was no ability to build that foundation during a normal offseason. Thank you, COVID-19. Regardless of what the reasons were, and I'm not one of those, it was one thing over another it was kind of a, uh, an array of different dynamics that really held this defense back. It is what it is. It happened. They just weren't ready. That's why the Raiders were an 8-8 eight and eight team. You are what your record says you are. Derek Carr recently came out and said the Raiders were three plays away from being an 11- or 12-win team. I believe him. I saw it. I saw it with my own two eyes. 
You make a stop, one stop, late in the game against Kansas City Chiefs, one stop against the uh, Miami Dolphins with 19 seconds left in that game, one stop in overtime against the Chargers, all at home at Allegiant Stadium. The Raiders win 11 games. Note, that would not have changed the fact that they still need to do a lot of work on defense, which is exactly what they did in the offseason. They bring in Gus Bradley, Ron Milas, and Richard Smith. They keep Rod Marinelli as a defensive line coach. They go out and sign Unique Ngakwe, one of the premier pass rushers in his time in the NFL since 2016. Go look at the numbers. He ranks way up there uh, in a multiple fashion getting to the quarterback, creating turnovers. He's one of the best in the NFL at that. And as a dynamic that the Raiders just didn't have. And that's on top of signing guys like Solomon Thomas and Darius Phylon and Quentin Jefferson, getting a healthy Max Crosby back, Cleef Farrell uh, in position to take another step forward, bringing back all three starting linebackers, beginning with Corey Littleton, uh, who I think, We'll have a bounce-back season after the down year that he had in 2020, his first with the Raiders. The Raiders bring in Casey Hayward, uh, a veteran cornerback. They bring back Carl Joseph, a veteran safety. They draft Trayvon Morig in the second round as the presumably the starting free safety. Trayvon Mullen has been a, uh, a solid player at one cornerback. They need to come up with a starter at... Slot cornerback, but they seem to have some options, and they seem to feel pretty good about where that position is headed. There's reason to believe that that defense is in line to make some necessary improvements, as I have been writing in my preview articles, which will be appearing in the Las Vegas Review Journal. I think it's July July 25th, that Sunday. So you could download the app Vegas Nation or go to VegasNation.com and read all about it. It's hard to believe that everything that I just listed from Gus Bradley down to Yannick Ngakwe and uh, the drafting of, of Trayvon Morig, it's hard for me to believe that a defense that gave up 29.9 points per game, 30 points a game, the third most in the NFL, came up with the third the third fewest sacks, the third fewest turnovers, and was third worst in getting teams off the field on third downs. It's hard for me to believe that the Raiders will be as bad as they were defensively. I it's it can't even I I refuse to believe that it's even possible to play that badly. But that begs the question if they are going to improve by how much? Had lunch today with Lincoln Kennedy over at his uh, beautiful new restaurant here in Henderson. The Angry Crab. Delicious food. Uh, Had a great time visiting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Why wasn't I invited? Oh, Damon, this is a a power lunch, buddy. Um, But uh, you're in the picture. You're still in the picture. Don't worry. (laughs) Sorry about that. Hey, he texted me, said meet me over uh, at at my spot. And, uh, you know, when the big dog calls, you run, right? You go over there. So uh, good restaurant. We'll get you over there. Who knows? We might be hosting some parties there at some point. Maybe we'll do a show there uh, during the season. Uh, it's about 10 minutes away from Allegiant Stadium uh, off of Sunset. 
here in Las Vegas. Uh, really, really good spot. Enjoyed visiting with Lincoln. Um, you know, get, catching up. I hadn't seen him in a while. So, uh, by the way, hugely, hugely, hugely excited about young Alex Leatherwood, the new right tackle. And um, it was funny that <laughs> Lincoln shared some stories with me. Uh, this was, trust me when I say the Alex Leatherwood pick by the Raiders was in the workings for not just this offseason. This is, had, has been kind of years in the, in, the, in the making, based on what I heard from, from Lincoln, who's obviously dialed in. I mean, he's arguably, you know, one of the great top two, top three right tackles in the history of this organization. He knows what he needs to see, so he and he's dialed in. He played for John Gruden for crying out loud. Uh, knows Tom Cable very well. They they're they're good friends. So um, talking to Lincoln today and hearing what he had to say about Alex Leatherwood, who trust me when I say was on the Raiders' radar for a long time, um, and which is why you know frankly he was kind of pissed when he heard. Oh, the Raiders blew it. Oh, the Raiders reached, you know, in drafting Alex Leatherwood. And um, he kind of had to refrain himself from, uh, from getting too fired up about it because he knew better. Especially for this offense. Tom Cable loves to run, and as does John Gruden, the outside zone run game. Alex Leatherwood, in Lincoln's eyes, told me today, is the perfect tackle, right tackle, to make that happen. And here's the thing, you know, Lincoln was, you know, completely honest by saying, hey, he's not a left tackle, but that's okay. The Raiders didn't need a left tackle. They've got Colton Miller. What they needed was a right tackle because the Raiders like to run the ball to the right side in their outside zone stretch. And, and, that's, um, and that's what Alex Leatherwood does. So kind of a funny story. Not long after Alex signed, or maybe it was during OTA, somewhere along the line, uh, Lincoln had to come to the building here uh, in, in Henderson, stops by, comes in, and who does he run into? There's John Gruden, and there's Alex Leatherwood. And John Gruden pointed to Lincoln and said, this is who I want you to be, man. This is what, this is who I want you to be. And Alex, not knowing necessarily who Lincoln was, uh, and actually kind of assuming that he was on the team, you know, was almost apologetic, uh, thinking that he's taking Lincoln's job. And then Lincoln just had to laugh. Yeah, man, my, I, it's been a long time since I played. Uh, but the point being is the Raiders envision him as a next Lincoln Kennedy. And Lincoln, and you guys, we all, everybody out there, all the listeners, all the fans, we all know there's nobody more honest, good or bad, bluntly, subtly, however you want to call it, than Lincoln Kennedy. He's going to tell it like it is. And he loves Alex Leatherwood. From his physicality, his athleticism, his intelligence, uh, got a chance to meet and talk to him, said he's a huge, really funny guy, a great sense of humor, and he's going to fit right in. So um, that was cool, getting a, getting a chance to talk to Lincoln today. Uh, and visiting him at, at his new restaurant. Um, and uh, hopefully there's there's things uh, in the works here where, um, you know, Lincoln's going to be back here pretty soon. So I can't wait for him to uh, to be part of the show again. He got a chance to uh, spend some time with the family this offseason, uh, playing dad, which he's very, very good at. Um, and so we're going to welcome him back 
with open arms when that when that time comes. Um, but getting back to that defense and what I have been writing in terms of it can't be any worse, right? But it can be better. And the question is, how much better? And, uh, of course, want your calls uh, to, to talk about the defense, talk about the improvements of the Raiders, where you think. We're two weeks out from training camp. Where do you think this team slots in the AFC West picture and the AFC play, uh, playoff picture? You can call us at 702-365-9200. And among other things, you know, sometimes you think you're – I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Godfather 3. Uh, but there's a key scene where Michael Corleone, who by now, years later, is retired or trying to retire from uh, running the family business, the Corleone business, and some things happen for which he's going to have to come back and basically save the family, save the day. And only his knowledge of of running the family, running the Corleone family is going to be sufficient in the situation that was that was bubbling up. And he had a key scene in the movie where he's kind of lamenting to, to, I think it was his wife or his ex-wife, you know, every time I try to leave, every time I try to start, you know, get away from this, they pull me back in. Come on, and Vinny, if you're going to do the line, do the line. <laughs> every time I try to, I can't remember exactly how he started it, but they pull me back in. So uh, the great Al Pacino, and I kind of felt like that. I felt like Al Pacino and Michael Corleone last night when on my Twitter feed, somebody from St. Louis, you know, there was some, there was some um, small little victory. And when I say small little victory, I mean small little victory uh, for St. Louis in their lawsuit against the Rams and the NFL over relocation you know, the Rams leaving St. Louis for Los Angeles. And, you know, somebody kind of taunted me a little bit, uh, myself and Sam Farmer, who covered that story, uh, as did I. Uh, but Sam did it for the Los Angeles Times. I did it for the Los Angeles Daily News, Orange County Register, the Southern California News Group is what it was called. And, you know, he and I, in our positions as reporters covering that story from the Los Angeles perspective, in what was truly a roller coaster ride that that literally took hair out of my head, you can I have the pictures to uh, to prove it. But it was an emotional story. It was a roller coaster story. It was a it was a wild ride. It was hugely complicated, very passionate. You had fan bases from St. Louis to Oakland to San Diego to Los Angeles and and everywhere in between. Um, everybody had their all fans, rightfully so, had their preferred outcome. Obviously, St. Louis wanted the Rams to stay put in St. Louis. Oakland wanted the Raiders to stay in, in, in Oakland. San Diego wanted the Chargers to remain in San Diego. In Los Angeles, you had a legion of Ram fans who wanted the Rams to come home. In Los Angeles, you had a legion of Raider fans who wanted the Raiders to come back to Los Angeles. And here are Sam and I kind of caught in the middle of all this, just trying to report it from L.A.'s perspective, trying to get uh, into the head of, you know, the Rams, the Chargers, the Raiders, trying to figure out what their goals were and objectives were and, you know, why were they moving in the first place? What were the reasons? Uh, were the reasons justified? All of these different 
dynamics and different elements to the story, we kind of became the face of that story to a lot of readers and to a lot of fans from all various locations. And, you know, it, not a day went by where you didn't report something that made one group of fans really happy and others really, really mad. And when they got really mad over me or, or, or Sam or any other reporter, just simply reporting accurate news and what was going on, they came at you with both fists flying. And I got to say, Sam probably did a better job than I did in just kind of staying above the fray. Myself, I'm not going to blame it on me being Italian, but uh, it probably has a little bit of something to do with it with the short fuse. Um, and so if you come at me, especially with nonsense, I'm going to come right back at you. Now, I always tried to do it in a way that was, you know, agreeable or, you know, not trying to put anybody down. I was just trying to explain, hey, here's the situation, all right? Whether you want to agree with it or not, this is kind of where it is. And so I would engage on Twitter. I would, I would answer questions. I would respond. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it helped. It helped my career uh, a little bit, which was, which was great. Uh, I think that most people understood that I was coming at it from as honest a position as possible and a neutral position as possible. I called it like I see it, like I saw it. And most people, I think, understood that. It ruffled some feathers. I get it. It's a, it was a hugely passionate story. And the fans always get caught in the middle of this. And I felt bad for everyone from St. Louis to Oakland to San Diego uh, and, and everywhere else. Nobody wants to see a city lose its team. But anyway, so I'm sitting there yesterday, and I kind of got sucked back into it because I thought my relocation days are over. And I cover the Raiders, and that's what I do for the Las Vegas Review Journal, and I'm happy to be doing it. That whole crazy nightmare of 2015-2016 is behind us and behind me. But there's a lawsuit going on in St. Louis right now. And the city of St. Louis believes it was misled by the Rams, by the NFL, and, and they're, they're suing for damages. I don't know exactly what they're seeking, to be honest with you. It's probably some sort of a financial... Pain and suffering, Vinny. Yeah, uh, yeah. But here's the thing, and this is what, still to this day... I don't quite understand. There's a disconnect between what St. Louis and the fans in St. Louis want to believe and what, you know, kind of truly happened, like the facts of the matter, okay? If you go all the way back to when St. Louis approached the Rams about relocating from Anaheim, Southern California, to St. Louis— and the owner at the time of the Rams, Georgia Frontieri, a St. Louis native, was all ears. You know, and, and St. Louis, to its credit, came up with a pretty good deal, a sweetheart deal, you might say. Something that really, in the short term, 
you know, put money into the Rams' pocket. It was a it was a good move for the Rams in the short term. Long term, you could argue that it wasn't. Who leaves Los Angeles, Southern California for St. Louis? Nothing against St. Louis, but come on. All right, who does that? Anyway, she did. And part of it was what St. Louis agreed to. A lease has to be made. The stadium, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember if the stadium was already built or, or whatever the case might be. I think it had already been built. And they, St. Louis, you know, enticed the Rams to come back, to come to St. Louis. Part of what they agreed on at the Edward Jones Dome, the lease with the Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis, part of what St. Louis agreed to do is that after a certain period of time, I think it was 15 years, I'd have to go look back, but after a certain period of time, the Rams and the city of St. Louis and and the, the agency that ran the stadium, the Edward Jones Dome, were going to reassess the Edward Jones Dome. Why? Because at the, at, when the Rams moved there in 1995, the Edward Jones Dome was a top one, uh, a tier one stadium in the NFL. If you remember, there were a whole bunch of stadiums, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, Minnesota, Seattle, a bunch of other stadiums were still or a bunch of other teams were playing in their older stadiums, RFK Stadium in Washington, um, you know, uh, uh, Oakland Stadium, San Diego Stadium. Uh, there were a bunch of old stadium across uh, Three Rivers Stadium, right? Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Uh, there, were, there were just a bunch of older stadiums. So at that time, the Edward Jones Dome, brand new, was a sparkling new home. Okay, but the Rams intuitively said, all right, but that's not always going to be the case. There's going to come a point in time where this stadium is no longer a tier one stadium. And if that happens after a certain period of time, and St. Louis agreed to this, if, if after 15 years, let's just say, uh, we figure out that it's no longer a, a tier one NFL stadium, then it's going to be on the city of St. Louis to pay for whatever renovations are needed to get that stadium back to tier one status. St. Louis, wanting a team, wanting to bring the Los Angeles Rams to St. Louis, said, yes, we'll agree to that. That's fine. We're, where do we sign? We're going to agree that after 15 years or whatever it was, I might, have, I might be a little bit wrong on the year factor, but after a certain period of time, we'll reassess. We'll take a look at the Edward Jones Dome. If it's no longer a tier one stadium in the NFL, we, the city of St. Louis. But don't Louis, we all overpromise and underdeliver on things to get what we want? Can we blame them? They wanted an NFL team. They produced one of the best teams of that short little era there with the greatest show on turf. Come on, it's like a little lot. Everybody lies a little bit. Be that as it may, clear as day, crystal clear as day, in writing, in that lease, it said when it came time to renovate after a certain period of time, if the Edward Jones Dome is no longer a tier one stadium, St. Louis is going to be on the hook to make it back or renovate it back to tier one status. That time came due. And St. Louis, taking a look at the situation, said, we think 
yes, it it's definitely needs some some touch ups. It definitely needs to be touched up a little bit. We're proposing one hundred and twenty five million dollars. That's what we think it's going to cost to get the stadium back up and running. The Rams are like, um, <clears throat> nah, that's no, we don't we don't believe that. Uh, we think it's going to be more. I don't think they ever said what they felt it was going to cost, but they obviously disagreed that it was going to cost $125 million. It goes to an arbitrator, an independent arbitrator, who ruled that it was going to be $700 million to renovate that stadium. St. Louis, almost immediately, and then officially, not too long after that, this is in 2013, says, we're not going to do it. We can't do it. Okay, the Rams said, that's fine. But in the lease, it was clearly understood and agreed upon that if you don't do that, if you don't honor that stipulation in the lease, then it we can break the lease after another X amount of years, five years I think it was, and then be free to look elsewhere for other options, including relocation. We're going to get back to this in one second here in the huddle with Vidi Monsignor brought to you by Tequila Imbavador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. All right, we're going to get back to relocation drama and how I got sucked back into all that uh, yesterday. I got some things to say, and I'm inviting all callers, including my good friends in St. Louis. And by the way, for the record, I love St. Louis. Uh, they're some of the best Italian food in the world up on the hill in St. Louis. I always enjoyed like going to St. Louis. I don't have any hatred uh, toward my good friends in St. Louis, but there's some things that you're saying on Twitter right now that are simply not true and not accurate. I've always been here uh, to try to help set everybody straight, and uh, we'll continue that discussion in just a little bit. But a good friend of ours just popped into the studio here uh, in Henderson, uh, Eddie Pascal from uh, Raider Nation, Raiders.com. You're Raider Nation Radio. I'm I Raider think. Nation yeah. Radio. I'm Las Vegas Review Journal. There's so many different. <laughs> I know. It's hard to keep them all straight. Exactly. Back. A lot of Raiders, a lot of silver and black. Right. So Raiders.com. Uh, Eddie, first of all, thank you for spending some time with us here in the huddle. How are you doing? I mean, we're, we're officially 14 days away from training camp. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's the off season, and I'm sure you can speak to this, but it feels like the off season is one of those weird things in life where it feels like it takes forever, but then it also feels like it takes about 96 hours. Yes. Yes. So I, I woke up this morning and I'm like, oh my God, we're two weeks out from, from doing this. And it feels like just the other day where we were wrapping up the season, you're kind of hearing from John the last time, you're kind of taking stock of what happened and what worked and what didn't work in 2020. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like it's, it's time to go again. We here, go again. Here we are. Uh, could not be any more excited. And I think that there's a lot of reason for Raider Nation to feel good about things. Um, and, you know, and, and Derek Carr came out over the weekend talking about how uh, he felt like the Raiders were three plays away from being an 11-12 win team. Um, I didn't see any lies whatsoever in what he was talking about. I was there. Uh, I saw the, especially the three games I think he was referring to uh, and how it just was a play here or a play there that uh, prevented the Raiders from live, winning 11 games. Be that as it may, they won eight games, so that you are what the record says you are. But I think it's encouraging 
um, Eddie. I think it's encouraging because I don't remember Derek Carr talking heading into the 2020 season about how the 2019 team was three plays away from being an 11-win team. And my recollection of that 2019 team, there were many, 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 many plays away from being an 11-win team. Could you make the argument that your quarterback talking along those lines, that's a little bit of a glimpse into the confidence that he has about this team and how close he believes it truly is? Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at, and I don't think Derek is alone in this, when you look at any play, or excuse me, any team across the NFL, you want your franchise quarterback to walk into every regular season with his chest out saying, hey, we're going to be the, bit, the biggest, baddest dog on this block, and we're going to win 16, 17 games. What is, I mean, it's hard to, funny to have to get used to saying 17, 17 now, right? It doesn't go off the tongue as well, but we'll get there. Yes. But regardless, you want your franchise guy to be like, listen, we're ready to go. We put the work in. We put the work in a year ago. We took advantage of this offseason. We are ready to go to work. So... To have Derek to be so vocal this year, to be like, "Hey, this is kind of where we're at. This is the set, you know, this is the status of how we, of where we are. This is the expectation going into 21." That's fantastic. I think on the other side of it too, like you said, the reality of the situation in 2020 is you get what you earn in this league. So the reality of 2020 for the Raiders, they were an eight-win football team. So yes, a play here, a play there changes a lot of things. But the same could be said for a lot of teams in the NFL. But regardless of of looking at what happened in 2020. I love the fact that Derek, who is the unquestioned leader of this football team, says, hey, we've put the work in. Now just wait and see what we do over the next couple months because when we get to the fall, it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're a fan of this team, you have to love that, that kind of mindset from him. To me, that was the main takeaway. And I remember talking to Derek uh, last year, uh, almost a year ago to, to, to this day, um, and him talking about, hey, leaving the you – know, leaving the huddle, getting to the line of scrimmage, looking over there and seeing Darren Waller, looking behind me, seeing Josh Jacobs, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, this good offensive line, and him thinking, saying, I don't care what the defense is going to try to do. Like, if you're going to do this, we're going to do that. If you do that, we're going to do this. And sometimes we're just going to take what we want. And this was Derek last year talking about that offense, and I felt like and said it at the time, he was getting to a point confidence-wise where he was writing checks that he knew – could be deposited. The money was going to be there later on, um, you know, when those checks came due. And that offense was. It was every bit as explosive and good. It wasn't perfect. No offense is, as Derek believed that it was going to be going into last year. And that's why – And he, but he never, at, at, even at that time, was talking about we're this close to being a playoff team. I think he even sensed there's probably some work that still needs to be done defensively. I don't get this. I think he really believes that this is a year now where it's – a complete team and not just offensively, but defensively with the improvements. Yeah. I think that you going into 2021 in, in two weeks or, you know, 15 days, whenever we really dive into this thing, I think that like, the, like with any team in the NFL, there's questions surrounding the Raiders, but I don't know if there's a ton of questions on the offensive side of the football, right? I think that we collectively have a pretty good idea of who Derek is, of what this team can be. Obviously, there's questions along the offensive line, right? It's going to take some these guys a little bit of time to gel. New faces, or excuse me, I should say, old faces in new roles, and, right. and obviously the, the addition of Alex Leather were on the right side. But I think that we all feel pretty confident, like, hey, this was a really good offense a year ago. You can make the argument that they're going to be even better in 2021. Defensively, that's, we all knew that headed into this year, that was the area of this team that had to be better, that unquestionably had to elevate their collective play for this team to make any type of noise in 2021. And you have to think that if you were sitting here in mid-July as a fan of this team 
And you look at what John Gruden and Mike Mayock have done. You look at the additions in free agency. You look at the additions via the draft. You have to think, hey, we're going to be better on this side of the ball than we were a year ago. Now, there is a long time between now and week one to see if that's actually the case. But if you're, if you're a guy like Derek, you're looking around saying, hey, I know what we're going to be on offense. Defensively, I think the guys that are they're going to be able to help us out a lot more. I don't think anyone is expecting or I, I think obviously you would love for them to be a top three defense in the NFL. Who wouldn't? Right. But if they're just a solid competitive defense, that completely changes the makeup of the, Ra- makeup of the Raiders headed into 2021. I agree. And it, it kind of um, strengthens the argument that I've been making that I know that, you know, under John Gruden over the last, you know, in the fir- over the first three years, it hasn't completely turned around as quickly as some would hope, including John Gruden. He'd be the first to tell you that. It eats at him that, they're, that they haven't had more wins. But that doesn't change the fact that time has not been wasted over these last three years. This roster has undergone a complete overhaul. There's Offensively, we saw last year what those changes meant in terms of execution and production. There's no reason to believe that a similar jump forward can happen with that defense. And it, and it goes back to what I was saying. Even though the wins, the amount of wins haven't been here over the last three years, it doesn't mean that time was wasted. And I think it's an important distinction to make. Are you moving in the right direction or aren't you? I think the Raiders have, even though they may not have uh, all the wins to show for it up to now. No, I, I'd agree with you. And I think that the one thing that is pretty... I don't want to say undebatable because we can debate anything, right? But I think one thing that I feel like the consensus would agree on is, like you said, there has been constant, there a constant progression. Now, has that progression been an overnight, hey, we're a Super Bowl contender? No, it, it hasn't. But it has been steady and methodic. And you look at what Mayock and Gruden have done. And it, like you said, it is rebuilding this roster. It is retooling the bottom part of this roster and making it a complete roster, not the super, you know, you have 10 to 12 guys at the top that you really, really like. But players 13 through 53, you're like, uh, I don't know really what we got here. Like, they have completely rebuilt this roster. And so the progression is there. I think that for obvious reasons, 2021 is going to be a huge year for this team. A big year for Derek, a big year for Josh Jacobs. Max, go down the roster. It's going to be a big year, an important year. But as we sit here now, a few weeks out from training camp, you have to feel like the pieces are in place. Now, you have to get a little bit of lucky along the way. you got to make sure nobody gets hurt. you got to make sure that the ball bounces your way a few times. I think even the best teams would agree that you got to get a little bit lucky sometimes. But you got to believe that this is the best version of the Las Vegas Raiders that we have seen. And frankly, it's probably the best version of the Raiders, Oakland, slash Las Vegas we've seen in quite some years, too. I agree, and we're talking to Eddie Pascal from Raiders.com. Uh, I'm not sure if you got out to the concert um, over the weekend. I did. I did not. I was visiting my in-laws, so oh, I just okay. saw. I saw the uh, the incredible photos. I know the Review Journal had some incredible photos yes. from that concert. I don't know whether to say I feel bad for you for the in-laws. <laughs> no, my I'm I'm one of, I'm one of those very lucky people <laughs> where my in-laws are spectacular. I hit the in-law jeopardy. Good. So it makes my, all the difference. It. Uh, oh man, I can't even imagine. My uh, my mother-in-law is just the best, and she is uh, just really cool like a cool right. lady she's she's a she brews beer nice. yeah she's like we we speak the same language okay, so cool. while i well, was that's... a little bummed that i wasn't here right. to kind of witness the 
incredible show it looked like yes. here over the weekend. I, I was enjoying myself having some fun. Well, I, I, was, I, I didn't go uh, myself, uh, but I, I followed on social media. I, was, uh, I bought the, um, the, the UFC fight, so I wanted my, promised my son that we were going to watch that. Uh, that was crazy in its own yeah. way. Um, but I kept uh, updates on social media on what the stadium was looking like uh, at the Garth Brooks concert. It was a full house. It looked spectacular. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of eerie in a way looking at it in that form after spending a year in there last year with no fans and envisioning all along what's this place going to look like when there are fans. But based on what you saw and just the liveliness and how it looked, it looked spectacular. The pictures were great. The videos were awesome. Are you starting to get a feel for what it's going to look like and sound like and be like and the atmosphere that it's going to be created for the Raiders this year? Oh, man, I hope so. And I think that I'm like a lot of people here where I kind of have over the past, what, 13, 14 months, however long it's been, you kind of have this picture in your head. You kind of have this vision of when you close your eyes and the guys come running out of the tunnel for the first time, greeted by a thunderous ovation of however many people we can we can safely get in that place. But, yeah, I mean, seeing – the photos and, and some of the video clips highlight, you know, kind of surfacing on social media over the weekend. It just does, it does kind of remind you like, man, this is going to be a really, really special building when it is packed, when you have the entire Raider Nation in there, you know, excited, cheering on their team. And we, you know, it's third and seven game on the line and you need them to get loud. Like, I think those are the moments that I keep coming back to. They're going to be so much fun to watch, uh, you know, over the next couple of months and really over the next couple of years. You know, Nothing against uh, the Oakland Coliseum. Um, I was there for some big games over the years. Uh, but I, I just think that this is going to be – it's going to have a different feel. It is. It's going to be different, no doubt about it. And maybe more impactful, maybe because it's going to be enclosed, uh, the sound, the acoustics. Uh, and if it's – it, it, it will be, um, you know, uh, heavily, you know, leaning toward Raider fans. And I think they're anxious to get out there and, and play their role. Uh, but in terms of what it was like in Oakland, how different do you think it, it could possibly be? Oh, man. I mean, I think it'll be just different just based on the buildings, right? They're two very different buildings with two very different personalities. You look at Allegiant Stadium, and when you look at it, it screams Raiders. Yeah. From the design to the colors to all the incredible little details that so many people put so many hard hours into thinking through. It screams Raiders. Now, the Coliseum in Oakland also screamed Raiders. It just screamed it in a different way. Right. But I think just because of that, I think they're going to be two different, uh, two different kind of environments. I think both are going to be really raucous in a fun way. I think that especially after the past year, there's such an anticipation for people to be back in that building to root on their team. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially this season. I, you know, I really, as we kind of go out through this in the next four, five, 10, 20 years, I think that the building is going to have its own personality. I think that it, it's a little, uh, I don't even want to say quirks, but things that make it special and unique are things that we're going to figure out organically. Yeah. I, I mean, let's not forget that, yes, we did do a whole year, in the stadium, a whole season, I should say, and you and I were there, but it was you, me, and 35 other people right, right. watching a bizarro world football. And so I think that even though we are now technically in year two, we still have so much to learn about the building. And I told you when you first started coming in here that, yes, we've had this beautiful studio for, gosh, a year and a half now, right. but we're in, we're in the same position. We're still very much learning the space. Yeah. We're still very much learning, okay, this works, this doesn't work. And so much of that stuff just happens organically. Right. And, and you can't kind of put your, your finger on it and say, hey, this is the thing that's going to define this space, and it's going to be awesome. It's just going to come over time, and I think that's going to happen with the Legion as well. Yeah, and we're, I think we're two months 
away from the season opener? Are we almost? I think so. Almost? Oh, yeah, right around there. Yeah. Right uh, around there. So what are you anticipating uh, that, that first night on a Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens? Uh, the, the strip is going to be alive. It's, it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime really experience. But what are you anticipating? I'm really just hoping that it's kind of the house party we've all been waiting for for a year and a half, right? I mean, I think that, you know, when I think of the best kind of events, the best kind of celebrations, whatever it is, I always use, like, a house party. Like, I thought I, – I used to say that when we played in Oakland, there wasn't a better house party in all of the Bay yeah, Area I love the than, the o- than the Oakland Coliseum, right? And I think that it's very much going to be the same here. I think it's obviously going to be a, a little more glitzy and glamorous, as is to be expected here in Las Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. But I think it's going to be a ton of fun. And like you said, I think it's going to be one of those moments that you look back on in 10 years, 20 years. You tell your kids, you tell your grandkids, like, you know what? Regardless of what the score is, and I hope it's a great game, and I hope the Raiders win by 50. But regardless of what happens on the field, that's going to be one of those days you're like, I was there. It was a blast. Here's the picture on my iPhone 75 to show you. (laughs) It's very um, few and far between when you literally get to be part of history. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up and and honestly um, enjoy it. I mean, that's – it's because it is one of those moments that you're going to reflect back years from now and tell kids and grandkids and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, last question for you, and I've been, I've been throwing this out uh, to various uh, guests. We saw a lot of good young quarterbacks last year play at a pretty high level. And Justin Herbert from the Chargers, uh, Joe Burrow before he got hurt. Um, but I'm wondering, and I was thinking about this at the time, and I'm thinking about it more and more as we lead up to the season – how much of an adjustment are quarterbacks going to have to make, especially the young ones, with fans now being back into the picture? You know, I, I think that it's a great question. I think that there will be kind of a natural adjustment just because, I mean, think about just human beings in general, right? Like you and I have had to adjust to doing things after taking a year off in 2020, even small things just right. in, our, in our daily lives, feeling going back to normal. But I, I think there will be a slight adjustment. But let's not forget, you know, the Justin Herberts, the Joe Burrow. I mean, these dudes were playing in packed stadiums with people screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, for 60 minutes, whatever it was. So I, I think that maybe that first week or two, you know, we'll see uh, maybe, you know, a little communication here and there. But I think by the time we really get into the meat of the season, I think that quarterbacks, whether you're a rookie or a guy like Derek who's going to his, what, eighth year or whatever it is, like, I, I think that it's going to be a, cr- a pretty quick return back to, oh, okay, like, I remember right, right. I remember having to look around and be like, all right, we're going hand signals on this one, exactly. guys. Like, we can't hear what's going on. But, uh, yeah, I think definitely I would keep an eye on that, definitely those first – two, three weeks, but you, you would hope that a lot of that kind of gets ironed out in the preseason, though, I would think. Yeah, and for the Chargers and Justin Herbert in particular, um, that's going to be a very interesting situation because you can make the argument, I mean, they've got the Steelers coming into town, the Giants, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Raiders. Um, I think the Eagles are going to be out there. There's just a bunch of teams coming in uh, to, to SoFi Stadium this year that bring... Yeah, the, travel very well. Ex, ex, yeah. yeah, And we already know that they're sure. still trying to find their way in Los Angeles. A lot of their fans in San Diego have kind of kicked them to the curb. So you might be looking at a situation with the Chargers. They're, they might be playing 17 road games, the equivalent of 17 road games. And I just wonder how that's going to weigh on um, young uh, Justin Herbert. But we shall see. And I, I will say this, though, before I get out of yeah. here. 
Justin Herbert's Oregon education will have him very well equipped <laughs> to handle that. From one shameless Oregon duck to another, he well, will okay. be he'll be good to go. Now that you mentioned that, yeah. Uh, by the way, and he is a brainiac. So yeah, he is. He really is. A he brainiac. won the uh, what's it called the academic Heisman. Yes, he did. He did. Uh, I'll never forget a conversation I had with Jared Goff, Cal, mm-hmm. and I, we were talking one day, and I asked who was the. <laughs> Who who are the what was the fan base that he hated most in the Pac-12? And he immediately went. You say Oregon? Oh yeah. And oh, I'm proud his, of that. His whole argument was, you got a bunch of pasty dudes in their Marcus Mariota jerseys, <laughs> screaming everything under the sun yeah. at you. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's time to turn the page, man, on Marcus. Yeah. Like, move on. It's yeah. Not, you know, so also to be fair, I don't know if Mr. Goff had a ton of success collegiately when I don't he know. went to. Uh, I'd have to look to at that. Austin. Yeah, I know that. I remember my uh, my freshman year. So gosh, 2013. As I as I date myself, uh, I remember 2013. That was the year that Cal was like Javid Best, and they yeah. had a great team. Right. But and uh, it was like Oregon's kind of first uh, arrival in the national yep. scene because they beat yep. them you know, that first or second game of the season. But uh, let it go, Jared. Come on. Hey, I mean, you know, at least he was being honest. Yeah, and, I appreciate uh, the honor. Oregon fans are. Yeah. Oh, we're we're a, a spirited bunch, I think is fair to say. And rightfully so. I'm rooting for – I've always been a Pac-12 guy. Uh, they've kind of let us down recently. The Conference and, of Champions has not been uh, too kind to us. In the yeah, I'm state. hoping that the new commissioner who's based here in Las Vegas, I'm sure he'll be making the move uh, to where San Francisco, wherever the offices are, but hopefully he'll have the – the necessary effect yes. to get the Pac-12 back up and running because we need the Pac-12 to hold up as an Yes, we do. And think about this, Vinny. Well, you and I will be singing a very different tune nine months from now as Oregon is the reigning national champion. Oh! You know, we get to experience the, the, oh, the beauty Eddie, and the grandiosity. it right now. Oh, I, I mean, I do it every year. So I one of these years, I'm going to get lucky. Right, it'll exactly. Hit. It'll hit. So. I love the confidence. Thank you so much for spending Absolutely, time with brother. us. Eddie Pascal from Raiders.com. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahutter. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Right back out, out to the uh, Raider Nation listener line. By the way, thanks to uh, Eddie Pascal from Raiders.com for joining us in the huddle. Always great to visit with Edward. But uh, out to the Raider Nation listener line. We want to talk to Mitch in New Jersey. How you doing, Mitch? Good, Vinny. I wish I was going on vacation like you. Ah, well, you know, got to get a little uh, a little time off before the madness truly begins uh, in training camp, which I can't wait for. Oh, it's going fast. It's a, um, I'm glad you have your own office. Is that nice, huh? Uh, I got to wait until <laughs> September. I, my scenario doesn't come back to like, next year, then. I only have two more years, then I can retire. You know, good old FedEx. They'll be there for another couple of thousand years. But yeah, there you go. The football league too. Same thing with the football league. All this stuff with the relocation. I mean, it just points that they got. I know it's. Uh, I think you spoke about this. They got. They got to get some expansion teams. LA's a big city. I know it's not football's not the number one sport, but it's big enough to handle too. San Diego and Oakland should always had had teams. That should never have left. Great fans, and same thing with St. Louis. They took a uh, team from Chicago. Um, I you know the Chicago Cardinals. Is that where that comes from? The Cardinals came from Chicago. Yes, um, the Rams came from Los Angeles. So that's two. They're zero for two in keeping teams 
in, in St. Louis. Um, I don't know. I mean, relocation is, is definitely a possibility, but I'm almost wondering if relocation comes in the form of Mexico City or a European country oh, uh, down no. the road. It's a global game, Mitch. It's a global game. It's a global game, but I uh, appreciate the call. Uh, take care of yourself. Uh, don't uh, be a stranger, and uh, give me a call back when I get back on uh, June 25th. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Vahadar.